Amen. Uh, when I was a youngster, I grew up in, at the Pleasant Union Church in Indianapolis on the west side of Indy, Pleasant Union. That's the church that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. That's where I got baptized in his name. And Pleasant Union is the church that I accepted my call to preach. Got licensed to preach there and ordained to preach there. And uh, my childhood pastor, when he would finish preaching, and it was time for the invitation to Christian discipleship where we, we would invite people to come and accept Jesus Christ as their savior for the first time or somebody would repent and turn and come back to church or somebody felt led to unite with our church. At that time, our pastor would say, the doors of the church are open. And it's not just our church, other churches with that tradition. That was their invitation to Christian discipleship. You can be saved. You can be delivered. You can come give your heart to Christ. You can reunite with the church because the doors of the church are open. And that's what I want to preach about today. The, the church at Laodicea, the doors of the church are open. In the book of Revelation, as we conclude our series of messages on the seven churches in Asia Minor, as God unites our church for the work of the ministry. In Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 8, verse 20, and then I'm going to read Revelation 4, verse 1. Listen to what Revelation chapter 3, verse 8 says. Jesus says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Revelation 3 and 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Revelation 4 and 1, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Jesus says, I have set before you, a place before you, an open door that no one can shut. Jesus said, I stand and I knock at that door. And anyone that hears my voice and opens the door, then I will come in. John says, I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven. The doors of the church are open. This is the message to the church at Laodicea. Now, Laodicea, the city... Uh, was one of the wealthiest cities and most affluent cities, not just in Asia Minor. In the first century, Laodicea was one of the wealthiest cities in the world, period. They had this, this wonderful commercial trade center. The city was situated in such a way that in that region, and we talked about the different cities in that area, as you go from city to city traveling, you would have to pass through or pass by Laodicea. And so they had this trade center that was there and they produced all these clothes and especially black wool. So the uniqueness of the black wool of Laodicea was, was very lucrative for them. And that trade center brought so much wealth to that city. But they didn't just have a trade center there, they had a banking center in Laodicea. And because in Laodicea, they understood it's better to be the lender than it is to be the borrower. Because when you are the lender, you make money off of loaning people money. So the interest that they were making from the banking center on loaning people money. In Laodicea, at that banking center, 
they understood mutual funds and stocks and bonds and 401ks and 403bs and IRAs and, and retirement investments. They understood all of that and got rich off of it as a city. They also had a medical center there. And at the medical center in Laodicea, even in the first century, they, they, they specialized in ointment for ears and ointment for eyes, a salve for eyes. So people would come from all over Asia Minor to make their way to Laodicea, that medical center there, so that they could hear better and see better. The doctors there were so prominent until some of the money in Laodicea had the image of doctors on it. Like in the United States, we use the image of presidents. Well, in Laodicea in the first century, their money used the image of prominent doctors uh, on their money. And not only did they have a medical center, they had an educational center because they had to educate the people that were going into the health profession. So they had this trade center, they had this, this uh, banking center, they had the medical center, they had the educational center, but what they did not have in Laodicea was a mind to have a spiritual center. They were not spiritual at all. Matter of fact, they thought they made so much money that they didn't need anybody, not even God. And this is the city that Jesus, the, the church in Laodicea, not the city, but the message from Jesus is to the church in Laodicea. And when you read this, you're going to discover that Jesus had nothing good to say about them. No compliment at all. The other six churches in Asia Minor that we've already looked at, even though they had challenges and issues, Jesus had at least one good thing to say about them. But this church in Laodicea, he had nothing good to say about them. And when he spoke to them about who he was, listen to what Jesus says to them. He says, because with every, each of these churches, he says, this is who I am to you. So when he gets to the church in Laodicea, the message is, I am the amen to you. I am the amen. I am the faithful witness. I am the true witness. I am the faithful one. I am the amen. Because what they thought of themselves is not what Jesus thought of them. And we're going to learn in a few minutes that Jesus actually thought the very opposite of them than they thought of themselves. But he wanted them to know I'm the amen. It is my witness that is true. In the book of Psalms, you'll read about God is true. God is true. And the Hebrew word that is translated true is the word amen. In the gospel of John, you hear over and over again, truly, truly, I say unto you. Truly, truly, I say unto you. And the Greek word for truly is amen. Jesus says, I am the amen. And what I think about you and what I say about you is true, even if you don't see that yourself. But he didn't just say, I am the amen. He said, I am the beginning of creation. I'm the start of creation. That doesn't mean that Jesus is the first person that God created. That's not what the beginning of creation means. Because Jesus, we learned with the Church of Philadelphia, that Jesus is God. And because he is God, he has no beginning. God didn't create Jesus in the beginning because Jesus has no beginning. That's the essence of being God. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning and he has no ending. When it says he's the beginning of creation, it means he has started creation. John chapter 1, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's the one that started creation. And in Colossians, it says not only did he start creation, but Jesus is the one who sustains creation. 
in him all things consist. He's letting them know, I'm the one that started creation. I'm the one that sustains creation. Jesus is the one that holds it all together. Some of us in here could testify, had it not been for Jesus, we would have fallen apart. All the hell you've been through, all the issues you've had to face. We talk about a pandemic. No, we had a syndemic. We had more than COVID-19 coming at us. We had poverty coming at us. We had job loss coming at us, unemployment coming at us, issues in the family coming at us. We had racism coming at us. We had all this at one time coming at us. And the only reason we can still think and give God praise is because in him all things consist. We would have fallen apart, but the Lord held us together. Uh, scientists now uh, speak of uh, something called a God particle, a God particle. They suggest that there is this subatomic particle that holds mass together, that the reason why the sun is still held together and the moon is still held together, they say it's because of this subatomic uh, uh, particle, this, 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 this God particle that they talk about. You would fall apart. Trees would fall apart. What holds mass together when force comes at it and speed comes and all the stuff that comes at it, what is holding it together? They say that it is a subatomic particle that you cannot see with the naked eye. We, we know about atoms. We know about protons and neurons and quarks. But they say even beyond the protons, the neurons and the quarks, there is something that you can't see with the naked eye that's holding all of that together. That's what the scientists tell us. They call it a God particle. I was intrigued by that when I first started hearing about it 20 years ago. I was intrigued because that used to be our witness about God. Some scientists, not all, these scientists who are atheists, told us they don't believe that there is a God. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons they said they don't believe in him is because they cannot see him. Because we were helping them to understand there is something that holds the sun in place. There's something that keeps the sun from coming any closer to us. It's right at 93 million miles away. If it came any closer, then we'd burn up. If it moved further away, then we'd freeze to death. That moon is right where it's supposed to be because there's something that is holding it in its place. I saw the super moon a couple of days ago. It looked like it was sitting in my backyard. It wasn't sitting in my backyard. It's in the same place because if it got any closer, we have tsunamis everywhere because the moon controls the rivers and the oceans. But there is something that is holding mass in place. Thing holds the trees together. They call it a God particle. I call it God. It is Jesus that all things consist in him. He holds it together. So he's helping them to see who he is to them. I'm the amen. I'm the one with the true witness about who you are and what's happening in your life. I'm the one that started everything. I'm the one who maintains everything because they thought they were so rich that they didn't need anybody. They didn't need anything, not even God. And this is not the city of Laodicea he's talking about. This is the church in Laodicea. He said, Here, here's the church in Laodicea. He says, now, you're neither cold nor hot. He said, I wish you were cold or I wish you were hot. You're neither one. You're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, King James, I'll spew you out of my mouth, New King James, I'll spit you out. No, out of the Greek is I will vomit you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. I wish you were cold. I wish you were hot. But you're neither one of those. 
You're lukewarm. And because of that, Jesus says, you're, you're nauseating. Cold or hot, one or the other. About uh, six miles south of Laodicea uh, was a place called Areopolis. And in Areopolis, they had freezing cold water there. This natural freezing cold water. And so they, they built these, these water aqueducts from Areopolis to Laodicea. And, and the aqueducts, they had the, the water that would flow through there. It was freezing cold when it started. But six miles later, it would be lukewarm. And then uh, in the other direction, north, there was a city called Colossae. And Colossae had hot springs there. And so they would try to have the water to flow through the aqueducts to get to Laodicea. It was, it was piping hot when it left, but by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Jesus said, I wish you were cold or hot. There's an advantage to cold water. There's something positive about cold water. When I used to run marathons, 26.2 miles, they said the way to recover from that is to get in a bathtub full of ice, put a bunch of ice in your bathtub, and then just sit in that. Well, it took me a, a month to recover because I couldn't, I couldn't take the cold, but there's something positive about the cold. There's something positive about hot water. But lukewarm? I know people that like ice cold coffee but and I like I can appreciate you for hot coffee I don't know anybody that like lukewarm coffee I know people that like cold tea I know other people that like hot tea I don't know anybody like lukewarm tea Jesus said I wish you were cold or hot I wish you were one or the other but you're neither one you're lukewarm he's saying that you have become so indifferent that you used to be excited about Christ and the church and the kingdom. That worship for you was not observation. It used to be participation. You celebrated with the praise team and the music ministry, but now you're not hot or cold. You're indifferent. You're complacent. That you have conformed to, to the culture of the city. That the church ought to be different from the world. But he says, no, y'all not different from the world. You think like them. You talk like the people in Laodicea. You dress like the people in Laodicea. You relate like the people in Laodicea. You act like them. And you think you don't need anybody just like them, not even God. I wish you were not conformed to the culture of the city that you live in. And Jesus told him, I know what you think of yourselves, but that's not what I see. You think you're so rich and so wealthy you don't need anybody. You think you got it going on so much because you can help people with their vision and you think you got it going on because of the black wool that you produce at the commercial center. But Jesus said, I see you opposite of the way that you see yourself. In verse 17, you see yourself as rich. I see you as poor. That you see yourself clothed with that black wool looking so good. I see you naked, humiliated, and shamed. That you think you're great with vision, but you can't even see. I wish y'all were getting this. The Lord sees them the opposite of how they see themselves. You think you're so rich because you got it going on financially, but spiritually you are so poor. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about how Jesus came from heaven to earth to down the cross. God raised him from the dead that he might enrich us. And some people translate that to mean to make us rich. It didn't say he came from heaven to earth, died on the cross, God raised him from the dead to make us rich. He did it to enrich us. 
You think Jesus came and died on the cross so you can get an upgrade on a house? You think Jesus shed his blood on Calvary and God raised him from the dead so you can get a new SUV? No, not to make you rich, but to enrich you. Um, I, a few Wednesdays ago, on, on, uh, I was telling our congregation at Bible study all the different schools that my sons have gone to from, from Payne College to, to Morehouse School of Religion to Tennessee State to um, Howard University to New York University to Full Sail, all the schools that they've gone to. And I told them, add up the tuition for all of those schools. And we, Lady Sharon and I, sent them there, and they are debt-free. That's the investment we made. When they graduated with their masters, they're debt-free. We didn't make that investment to sacrifice like that to make them rich. Otherwise, we would just gave them the money. You go, see how much all this stuff costs? We could have invested that, held it 10 years, then gave it to them to make them rich. We didn't do it to make them rich. We did it to enrich them. Sharon and I became poor so our sons could be enriched, exposed, and grow. That's what Jesus did. He came from heaven to earth to die on the cross. God raised him from the dead. He became poor that we could be enriched. Some of us may have it together rich financially, but Jesus said, I see you as poor. And then Jesus said this to them, I see you the very opposite of how you see yourself. You see yourself great with vision. No, you can't even see. You talk about that black wool that you're covered with. No, you're uncovered. You're naked. You're ashamed. You're humiliated. Then he says to them, buy your gold from me. Get your sight from me. Get your covering from me. Y'all got to get this. They thought they had it going on so much that they didn't think they needed anybody, not even Jesus. And Jesus said, your life is worse than you think because you think like the world and you act like the world. But whatever you need, you got to come get that from me. Some of our lives are jacked up and messed up because we try to get everything we desire in life from somebody else. But my God that I serve shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. We got to learn how to go to Jesus to get what we need. And the text says it is not too late because he says, I placed the door in front of you that no one can shut. Revelation 3 and 8, that was the message to Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia. I got a door. I placed the door in front of you. And, and the door I placed in front of you is still open. It says, no one can shut it. See, some of us think it's too late because I had a chance to get saved. I had a chance to recommit my life. I had a chance to do better. I had an opportunity to go to school. I had an opportunity to have a better relationship than this thing I'm in right now. And now I messed it up because I didn't take advantage of the open door and the text says, no one can shut that door. It speaks of the grace and the mercy of God that there were things I wish I had done five years ago or 10 years ago, and the Lord opened the door and I didn't take advantage of it. Now the enemy is trying to make me think my life is done because I didn't take advantage. But the text is showing us that no one can shut that door, not even the devils in hell. None of your family and friends, none of your employers can shut that door, and you can't even shut that door. God loves you so much. He says, I'm going to create a door of opportunity to give you a chance, and I'm leaving it open till you finally make up your mind. And here's the thing about doors. When I looked at this last week with the Church of Philadelphia, I was talking about the doors he opened so we can enter. 
And what the Holy Spirit said, Jeffrey Johnson, you didn't, you didn't follow through on that. Doors are not just for entrances. Doors are for exits. Because, and Robert Hawkins just talked about his recovery, his addiction, because God opened the door for him not to go in, to come out. And there's some of us right now that are in some things that we shouldn't be in, but I praise God that the Lord opens doors to give us the chance to come out of what we're in. And no one can shut that door. It's still available to you. It is not too late. It's not too late for you to accept Christ. It's not too late for you to repent, change your mind, and turn and come to God. It's not too late for you to connect with the church. It's not too late for you to start having healthy food options when you go to eat. It's not, too healthy. it's not too late for you to start exercising and walking and running and riding and swimming. It's not too late. And it's not too late for you to get in a healthy relationship. That, that door God opened, that was for you to come out of that one so you could go into another one in a healthy relationship. And it's not too late. And it's not too late for you to go back to school. You've been talking about that degree and you had a chance and you started school and things didn't work out. Something went down and something happened and, and you've been putting it off and putting it off and now you think you're too old to go back to school. And Jesus said, I placed a door open for you. It's not too late for you to go back. I, this just happened recently. A woman out in, in Florida just got her college degree and um, she's 96 years old. 96 just got her bachelor's degree, I forgot to tell them at the first service, and graduated with a 4.0 GPA, 96. She's the oldest black person in America to receive a degree. She's the fifth oldest person in the world that is documented that has graduated from college at 96. When she was in high school in Jamaica, I want to show you all the things she had to go through to get her degree. She was in Jamaica in high school. It was during World War II. And in order for their grades to, uh, to count, they had to send them to Europe and then come back and it's okay. But because the war was going on, she didn't even know if the grades were going, even going to get there. But she did graduate from high school. She ended up moving to New York. She got into college. Some things happened. She got married. They start having children. When they start having children, then the children start having children. She's helping with her grandchildren. She had a daughter that, that went to medical school. So she dropped out of college. So her daughter doing this, all this stuff for her children. Her daughter gets a medical degree and she starts her own practice as a doctor. So she helped her daughter with that. And she's doing all of this for other people and put off her degree. But a few years ago, she said, you know what? I'm going back to get my degree. I'm saying this for somebody who said, you too old. And when she went <laughs> to get her degree, the school she had gone to earlier ain't even open anymore. All the schools she applied for said, oh, no, that's too long ago. We don't, we don't accept any of those grades, none of those classes. And she didn't go home and start crying saying, I tried my best because there was a door that was open. And at 96, because you 35 years old, Tony, I'm too old. You 42, I'm too old. No, if somebody can do it, y'all ain't helping me preach this today. If somebody can do it at 96, it's not too late for you. The door is open. And not only that, there's another door here. Jesus said, I'm, I'm, I'm knocking on the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I come in. Revelation 4.1, there's a door that's standing open in glory. I wanted, I wanted to look at these doors because they're all in context here. And, and when, the, when the New Testament was written, there were no punctu punctuation marks. 
when the New Testament, all words just ran together. When you start seeing periods and commas and semicolons and question marks and exclamation points in the Bible, that was not in there when it was written. We put that in there later to help us to understand it in English. When, when, when John was writing Revelation, he didn't write in here Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. That's not, no, that came later so we could understand and be able to, to get it together. So when you're reading in, in the Greek, it all ran together. All of these doors are in context. Notice the doors that Jesus is responsible for are open. Notice the doors that the church at Laodicea is responsible for is closed. The issue with this divine initiative and human responsibility, it, the problem is not with God. God has already opened the doors. The issue is with human responsibility. We won't walk through and we won't open the door that Jesus is knocking on. So Jesus says, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. I've already opened the door for you. I'm, I got another door open at the next level, but I'm knocking at the door of your heart. The problem is you won't answer. Every time I have preached Revelation 3 and 20, I've always preached it with evangelism, but this, this evangelistic thrust. I've always preached it about sinners who've never invited Christ into their life of forgiveness of sin. And Jesus loves you so much that even though you're in your sin, he's knocking at your door of your heart. And if you open your heart, then Jesus, he will come in. I've always preached it like evangelism. And, and it's still true to this day. He's still knocking on the door of your heart. You know, accepted Christ, he's still there knocking. He's not going to force his way in. You got to open up and let it. And then, y'all, it's showing us how easy salvation is. We try to make salvation hard. Why do we try to make other people do what we didn't do when we got saved? We didn't, we didn't climb a mountain. Why are you making them climb mountains? We didn't swing from chandeliers. Why are you trying to make them swing from a chandelier? That, that we didn't tithe first and then give our life to Christ. Why are you trying to make them do that? That, that we didn't keep all the commandments. Why are you trying to make them keep commandments? Salvation is very easy. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. You don't have to have a doctorate of ministry to be saved. Just eat. I'm the living water. You don't have to have a PhD in theology. Just drink. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. You don't have to be a gospel genius. Just open the door. He's made it that easy. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, the mistakes you've made. If you open up, Jesus says, I'll come in and watch what he says. When I come in, you'll sup with me and I'll sup with you. You dine with me and I'll dine with you. You eat with me, I'll eat with you. Jesus says, when you open up, you give me what you have. I'm going to give you what I have. You give me your faults. I'm going to give you my forgiveness. You give me your errors. I'm going to give you my eraser. You give me your mess, I'm going to give you my mercy. You give me your grumbling, I'm going to give you my grace. You give me your sin, I'm going to give you my salvation. I stand at the door of your heart and knock. I've always looked at it like evangelism. And that you can apply it like that. But Revelation 3 and 20 is not about evangelism. He's not talking to sinners in the world. He's talking to Christians in the church. This is a message for the church. He's knocking on the heart of those who are part of the church. He says, now, if you open up, I'll come in, which means that so many of us have closed our hearts to Jesus because we've conformed to the culture of the world. 
I wish you were cold. I wish you were hot one or the other, but you just like everybody else. You're lukewarm. And now I'm trying to get through to your heart, but you think you got it going on so much that you don't need anything. Not even Jesus. And Jesus is knocking on our hearts, saying you're lukewarm. You used to be excited for worship. You used to be excited to participate. You thought it was an honor to serve God. You gave God praise. You witnessed about who he is. But now you close your heart to God, and Jesus is, is trying to get in. One of the most famous doors in the world is Saint, that door at, at St. Peter's uh, in, in, at, at the Vatican, St. Peter's door. And uh, it's really beautiful. It's, it's got all these designs on. I took, I tried to enrich my kid. I became poor to enrich them. I took them to the Vatican, took them to Rome. And we, all these doors at the Vatican, but that St. Peter's door is there. And it's beautiful. It's nice, all the designs that are on it, but it's closed. And it's only open once every 25 years. Here's the door to the church that's closed. It only opens once every 25 years. And to make sure nobody goes in and out of it, there is a brick wall on the inside. They installed a brick wall on the inside to make sure nobody comes through that door except once every 25 years, they leave it open so people can come and go. And that's what has happened to the church in Laodicea. And for some of us in Indianapolis and Fishers, we got this wall that we've erected and we won't let Jesus in. And, and every, once every 25 years, whoever's the sitting pope takes a silver sledgehammer and knocks the wall down and they open the door and let people in. This is what I'm trying to get across to us. If we'll be honest, some of us are not where we used to be with the Lord. And Jesus says, I, I know you got a wall up there. But if by faith you'll knock that wall of indifference down, that if by faith you'll knock that wall of complacency down, that wall of conformity, Jesus said, if you open up, I'll come in. And when I come in, you give me what you have, I'll give you what I have. Last thing, and I'm not going to develop it because I already developed it last week, and that there, there's an open door at the next level. Revelation 4 and 1. John said, I, I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven. That's next level. I'm not, I'm not going to develop that because I developed it last week. So if you're not so indifferent, just go back and listen to last week's message. And you'll discover that some of the doors that God closes on the level you're on is not because God is mad at you. He, even in this text, it says he disciplines those that he loves. He's not mad at you. It's just that sometimes God has to close a door on the level we own to get us to the next level. There is another door. We can sit with Christ in heavenly places, but we get so complacent and so satisfied with making 30 cents above minimum wage or working a job that can't meet the needs of our family, can't do anything for our community or church. That we're so satisfied with where we are in life that we do nothing. So Jesus says, no, I know how to get this to work. I'll shut doors that no one can open. And I'm going to close the doors on the level you own to get you to the next level of the door I already have available to you when you learn how to sit with Christ in heavenly place. Here it is, and I'm done. Jesus says, those who repent and change your mind, turn away, 
and are victorious. He says, you get to sit with me on the throne. Not the throne in Rome where the emperor sits. No, the, the, the throne in glory. Jesus says, I know you weren't hot or cold, but when you repent, when you change your mind, when you finally decide you're going to follow me, he says, and you're victorious, I'm going to make sure you sit with me on the throne. Sit with him on the throne. You got the victory. Now the throne, that's the authority. All of that happens because you sit with Jesus. Here's what Christianity really is. Christianity fundamentally is being with Jesus. That's what Christian, we try to make it about houses and clothes and cars and uh, we, no, Christianity is about being with Jesus. There was a rich man that ran up on Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And finally, Jesus got to the point that he just said, listen, here's how you can inherit eternal life. Sell out for me, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. Be with me. When Jesus handpicked his 12 disciples, he said, deny yourself. Take up your cross, follow me, to be with me, Jesus says. And now he says that we get to sit with him on the throne. You get to be with me, sit with me on the throne. That's what Christianity is all about. I'll close it with this. Bill Russell just died. I, I love Bill Russell. I love what he did on the basketball court, and I love what he did for social justice, using his name and his influence to make life better. When he checked out of here, the world was better than when he got here. I love Bill Russell. 11 championships with the Boston Celtics, two of those as a player coach, all of that. They just named the, the finals MVP trophy after him. They get ready to retire his number that nobody in the, in the, going forward can have the number six because of Bill Russell. And Bill Russell, uh, I know y'all know Kenny the Jet Smith. Kenny Smith, he works with Shaq and Ernie Johnson and, uh, and, and, and with TNT. And uh, Kenny the Jet Smith, he boasts and brags because he says, I got drafted by Bill Russell. Bill Russell at the time was the coach in Seattle, and he says, nobody else can, can talk like this but me because I got drafted by Bill Russell because Seattle needed a point guard. And when they needed a point guard, Bill Russell was the coach. He chose out of North Carolina, Kenny the Jet Smith to be the point guard. Here's what Bill Russell told him when he got to the team. He said, Kenny, you got one job with this team, one and that is to sit with me. He said, sit with me when I'm on the bench, sit with me when we're in the cafeteria, sit with me on the bus, sit with me on the plane. He's a point guard, and his job description is one thing, to be with Bill Russell, to sit with Bill Russell no matter what. And, he, and Kenny said, on the plane, the players, his teammates would be in the back of the plane laughing, joking, playing cards, having fun. And he's up in the front sitting next to Bill Russell talking about basketball and life and social justice because that's his job responsibility to sit with Bill Russell. And Bill Russell kept noticing Kenny looking to the back where they laughing and joking, having fun and playing games. And Bill Russell said to Kenny, I, I know you want to be back there with them. I know that. He said, but look back there one more time. Look back there. Not one champion is back there. Not one of them have ever had the ultimate victory. He says, if you want to be a champion, if you want to be victorious, then you need to be up here with me. Some of y'all right now can't wait to get out of church. 
because you're getting ready to go meet with some losers because they look like they're having fun and playing games and having a good time. But Jesus said, no, if you want to be victorious, then you got to sit with Jesus. Do I have a witness in this place? I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be one of his disciples. Do I have anybody that want to be a follower of Christ? What do I have to do? What do I have to say each and every day? Because I want to be a follower of Christ. Come on, stand with me.